0: Good morning, I'm Howard Brown, senior pastor here at Christ Central Church, and welcome you guys this morning. I will try to be at that 4th of July um, cookout. Y'all, y'all going to put the ribs and the chicken on the grill? If I bring the ribs. I got them. No. Um, sh- 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 let me see if I can find my scripture here. Where's Revelation? Oh, it's in the back. Um Genesis and Revelation, you can usually find those two books. Um, last week we looked at a uh, vision of Jesus given to us in chapter 1 by John as we continue in this study in the book of Revelation and uh, back in chapter 1. And I want to bring your attention back to that vision and um, because that vision is the guiding vision for the churches that receive these individual messages from John. Um, from Jesus via John. And um, so what you get at the beginning of each of these individual church addresses, one to each of the seven churches, is a description from the vision that best fits their issue or need. Something about that vision of Jesus that challenges and is calling them to be changed for the better. Now, what we have before us is a letter to the church of Ephesus. This church, just to let you know, in tracking its um, history, its short history um, through the New Testament, it's a dynamic and pivotal church of the first century. It's, this church, unfortunately, has been accused by Jesus of forsaking their first love. Now, there are a number of ways this manifests, but it's safe to say that they have lost and, and missed the point of their faith, missed the point of their suffering and, toy and toil and perseverance talked about at the beginning of this address. That they, They've missed the point of the, the, their standing strong in their beliefs. Somewhere they have traded or missed or losing out in their relationship with the one That Revelation chapter 1 describes as having loved us and freed us from our sins by His blood. They, like many of us, have lost a lost focus of Jesus, their first love. And if in their personal lives and institutional associations, they claim to be believers or Christians functioning as a church and church people... If they are missing out on the love and living love relationship with Jesus, then what's the point? What's the point of this whole thing? I mean, truly, what's the point of, of, of what appears oftentimes in Scripture, if Jesus isn't the point? What appears is a bunch of do's and don'ts of, of giving my money and my time and and, and 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 even for me the profession? What's the point? Let's just pack up and go home. The other day I was really challenged. Just yesterday I was riding in the car and I, I was reading, there's a book on our um, book table called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And I don't know what chapter is. One of the chapters in the end there, it, um, um, it 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 really challenged me because I began to realize that so much of the functioning of my life, so much of the heart drive in my life has nothing or little to do with a living, loving relationship with Jesus, that yes your pastor sometimes when I sit down uh, you know if i don 't pray and really get into it sometimes functionally, just because i 've been trained to do it, know how to do it they 've done it, I can put together a sermon without having this living, loving relationship, and so I, I was talking to kelly i 'm like you know sometimes i mean i mean i 've been a, let 's see how long uh, I've been a believer for 17, 18 years, something like that, young in comparison to some Christians. but And I realize that sometimes I live this life functionally and with my heart more like an agnostic than someone who really believes in a loving, living, ongoing relationship with Jesus. And so I realize how a church like this, how it can happen if, if... The, 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 if we're missing the, 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 the point of the method and the point of the mission and the, and the point of, of, of the message, if it's not Jesus and His love for you or the world around you, if the gospel is not central, if, and I, I mean the pun completely, if Christ is not central, let's go home. Let's stop. What's the point? Jesus is the point. He's the point of the church's and believer's message because Jesus declares himself in Scripture as being the very person of the Christian faith. I want you to look at the way this thing opens here. In verse 1 it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. We get we again, excuse me, get this call back to Jesus holding the seven stars in his right hand, which are the angels of the church, the, the elders, the preachers. And then he describes him as walking among the seven golden lampstands. It should have in conjunction with the vision that goes with this letter kind of a, oh, yeah. Jesus is some, has something to do with this church thing. Like we've been a church so long and we're doing so well, we're doing our thing, that that all of a sudden John says, Jesus is holding your very, the very functioning of the church, and Jesus is the one who is in charge of the very fire that the church is. And it kind of has this, whoa, that's right. Jesus is important to Christianity. Christ is important to Christianity. Jesus is the person and personality Behind the faith. Behind who and how we are and even why we are a people. But join with the revelation that Jesus, I'm done with that page, that join with the revelation that Jesus is the person of the faith, faith is that Jesus is the power of the faith. We get this image again, this vision of Jesus holding the seven stars in one in the right hand. And then the priestly image of Jesus walking among the seven golden lampstands, which are the churches. And it lets us know that Jesus is the power of the church. He is the power to be the church, the power behind and for change lives. He's, he's the stock. He's the very resource that the church builds and, and banks on. And we see this power really highlighted here in verse 5. It says here, remember the height from which you have fallen because they've forgotten their first love. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you did not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus saying, I have the power, because I am the power behind Christianity, to no longer have you be a branch of God's spiritual bank, uh, that that as CEO, as the very resource and person behind what you are about, if I, the one whom you've loved and has loved you first, is gone, then as the power and person and very point of your faith and its message, you will be gone. It makes sense. In the light of the Ephesians' fight to stay alive and, and bright and well in a city that is I can describe as antichrist, that it is persecuting and it's trying and it's challenging the beliefs and practices of the Ephesians at every turn. That if they lose focus of the one who is the person and power behind their faith in keeping with the lampstand, they will burn out. In other words, all the stuff that he commends them for, eventually, if they lose Jesus as the focus, they will get wary of doing what they've done so well thus far. They, like the city of Ephesus with their gods, they will have to somehow become the very guardians of the concept of Jesus. The pastors will have to become personalities. To kind of sell the faith in, in light of some impersonal belief that the pastors would have to become politicians and the people would have to be these really strong, powerful people who exert their power and, and promise personal power to all those who come in order to keep the faith alive and relevant. It would have to, have to do it to keep what they have invested so much of their lives in to, to sell the faith, to, to keep the selling item hot. In the light of the surrounding competition. That's what's going on in, in verse 2 here. If you, if you read with me, it says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have rested, um, you have tested rather those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. Now, just to let you know, there's a group of apostles running around claiming to be the next ring of apostles. You know, you kind of have the inner ring, John, and all those guys, and then, and then you have this other ring. And so what they're claiming is, we're, we, we're the personalities of the faith. You know, we're, we're the super spiritual. And, and it turned out that they weren't apostles at all, that they're claiming as falsehood in order to become something, to be honored, to be high on the pole. Now, as I begin to look at this, it began to sound real familiar to so much of what is going on in our churches and lives of its so-called believers today. That somehow in the middle of the struggle of being believers, the person in power and very point of the message of Christianity has been lost. And now we, yes, and we, the church believers have become just another store on the proverbial market selling this impersonal faith that lives as much as you and i have the power to make it so 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 what you get is preaching messages that have as its end as its final power your ability to be good your ability to try hard enough and be right and 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 and, and, you know just just do better becomes the message And so Jesus is like this light bulb that that needs your works and your personality and, and the show of church and the show of everybody being good and doing all the right things and being moral. They need that in order for Jesus to be real because they've forgotten that he's the point and they aren't the point of the message. The church can quickly, and has in many instances, become a place of personalities where where the leaderships and pastors are are nothing short of rock stars and politicians or or salesmen for this item in the box called the Bible. You know, it's very tempting when you begin to live more like an agnostic in your heart. It gets very tempting um, and, and it helps you understand what can happen when Jesus no longer is the power and person behind your faith. That You begin to think, man, Sunday morning is coming. I better be ready to go. And not ready to go, meaning I better be ready to do the thing God calls me to do. I better be ready to put on the show. Because if I don't put on the show, if I don't do it right, if 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 I don't sound exciting, if I don't look a certain way, then man, Jesus isn't... I mean, this thing called Christianity won't be able to live without the personalities and personal power of its people. So churches have become Nothing. Nothing. This is just another positive thinking uh, seminar, if you will. Just call me Tony Robbins, Howard Robbins, something like that. You know, because all I'm going to do is just tell you how to do your life better. Because there is no real person in power behind the faith, and this is what the Ephesian church is headed for. Jesus, therefore, is harsh here. He's saying, you will no longer be a church. I'm going to snuff you out. I'm going to prove to you, I am the power and person behind the faith. Here you are doing all these good things. Church is going well. You know, you're doctrinally together. People are learning the confession of faith. People are growing. They'll be learning the ins and outs of how to defend their faith. You know, they may even... I mean, they, this, this church... I mean, they have it together. They, they've crossed all their T's. They've dotted all their I's. And Jesus is saying, that church, I will take you out. The right church, the good church, the church where everyone's acting all proper, but Jesus really isn't the living and loving, driving force behind what they do. I'll take you out, Jesus is saying. Jocelyn and I, sometimes we joke. We're like, hey, don't know whether I'm going to be there next week. God might take me out. Just little prideful thoughts. I will tell you that um, church planting is a, it's like a kind of, you know, when I left seminary, I wanted to be a church planter. And so, you know, eight years ago, whatever, I I was just walking through it. As you walk through this journey, do you know how many tombstones of church planting pastors we have to go by? People who became rock stars, churches that became the in thing, the cool thing. And there was no Jesus or person or power behind it. And it, became, it just became a church of personalities and, and all these kind of things. And they're no longer there. People sitting at home. Jesus is not kidding here. I've seen it happen. I've seen ministries fold. I've seen the best and the brightest and most doctrinally straight. I've seen the best preachers and the best singers and the best acting Christians. End it. Seen it be over. Jesus is saying, you'll just become a social club. Because your message is no different than the others in the shopping mall of morality. And your power is no different than those who dance before brick and mortar idols. And some of us are burned out and tired of church. We're, we're tired of trying it, trying it. And we will turn off or walk away or seek out a a personality to follow away, a power of our own or, or one we can control. And Jesus is saying, you can't and you shouldn't make it without me being the central person and power and point of the message of faith in God. He's saying, remember your first love? Do you remember me how I loved you, I am moving and I'm alive and I'm powerful. Do you move to the dance of life because I am the living music in your heart and ears? Jesus is asking, are you motivated to suffer because you find sweet relief in my arms? He's asking, do you struggle to get here on Sunday because you believe I meet, I will meet and touch and empower you here? And Jesus is simply, He's reminding His people, I am the point and person and power of this message of Christianity. But not only do we hear from this passage that Jesus is the point of the message, but he is the point of the method. Now the Ephesians church is condemned, I mean commended rather, for their orthodoxy and practice. They are a thorough church doctrinally. But in losing their first love, they're beginning to are in danger of forgetting that. He is that, forgetting that he is the very point of their orthodoxy. Now I mentioned that we have this situation in verse 2 with the, the false apostles, and they're commended for handling that. And then we have this in verse 6. It says here, but you have this in your favor. So so Jesus is commending them. Commending them, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans is a heresy. It was about a belief, um, but more about... Belief, but it was also a practice and so they wanted to change the way church was done. They felt like you could worship the gods of, of Ephesus and worship Jesus and you kind of mix it up in the church service a little bit. You could kind of mix it up in the way you do things and, 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 and how they did the relationship with Jesus. And we see that Jesus had a personal hatred of it because as their first love, he must remind them that he's the point of the practice. The the, the purity of belief and practice of the church is because Jesus hates beliefs that affringe upon who he is and who we are to him. You know why? Because Jesus loves being seen clearly by us. And in turn, we work towards orthodoxy and belief because we love to see him and we want to see him purely. What this means, especially to the Ephesians, is that orthodoxy and right religious practice can't be an end to itself. It can't even be an own personal value or it becomes like the other religions where where the point is to be right, where the point is to be pure, where the point is to keep every I dotted and T crossed. In their faith, their religion becomes more like Atlas kind of rolling that ball up the hill only to have it come back. And it, it beckons us back to the idolatry of Ephesus that somehow we're led to believe that the gods have put the weight of And the end of religion on you and your ability to do it right and be it rightly. And the Ephesians church church in Ephesus is in danger of becoming a place where being right and righteous and pure and knowing the ins and outs are their security and hope. And Jesus is clear here. You are beginning and have lost what is most important. That which is the point, which is me. That the end of your orthodoxy and practice is that I want you to see and know and feel and experience my love purely. That I want to move and work and love on you without barriers and without interruption. That the point of any religious practice is that Jesus can love on you and touch you. That our drive for orthodoxy and being doctrinally correct can be so that you can hear Jesus' words of care for you. See, doctrine is a dictate of God's love letter to you, that that being right about what the scripture says, a revelation, if you will, that your drive to worship and live properly is to be with him and to have him be with you, to be close to each other. And what happens is people get tired and again, burn out. They want to be touched by something real. And Jesus gets tired of you getting tired with trying to be pure for the sake of being pure and right. I know, I know we have some burned out Catholics on one side and some burned out charismatics on the other and still some burned out Calvinists on the other side who all be have come to a dead end in their orthodoxy and faith and practice because Jesus stopped being the point. His love for you, your loving of him became the words of a practice in orthodoxy that did that that wasn't real you know i I get asked the question about this this quiet times dilemma many of us came through college ministry some of us and and many of us came through churches and they say you need to have a quiet time every day and what ends up happening is the guy who's up there you know the, the 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 leader the one who has his quiet times together the one with the little palm pilot with jesus at the top at, at, every day he gets up there and he and he inadvertently implies you know inadvertently yeah he gets up and says early in the morning i will seek you lord so you got these young kids or young believers like yes five in the morning it's me and jesus and you know in your fervor you go and you think this is orthodox this is right practice and you You're not hearing me say you shouldn't spend time with Jesus, but they kind of read the scripture and they get up at five and it's them and their dreams fall asleep. Then they start to burn out and they feel this and they feel that. And and I've had people have people ask me, shouldn't I go to a quiet place? You go to a quiet place. I know if I go to a quiet place, I'm going to go to sleep. So oftentimes, it becomes our prayer times become what it looks like. The the end becomes to look pure. Don't you know the the the, the, the whole reason behind having times with Jesus? It's to have time with Jesus. It just hit me one day. I'm I'm driving in my car and I like a little white noise. So you know, music's going. And I, I got to have craziness going on because I'm just kind of ADD. And so I'm I'm sitting in there and I'm praying and I get to my next destination between praying. I'm like, wow, that was some good time with Jesus. But it didn't look anything like that real holy guy who stood up front and said, I get up in the morning and I go to a quiet room with no pictures in it. You know, the room that's white walls and just has that pillow for me to kneel on. Man, again. Let me encourage you. If you need that kind of atmosphere, if it means Jesus becomes the point of the method, that in your method of prayer, you get more and a closer and a loving relationship, that you can hear the word better than you read it, and you can pray better when it's quiet, do it. But if you like me, and it can't be quiet because you go to sleep, or you start dreaming, man, I start writing sermons. I don't listen to Jesus. Start thinking about how church is going to go. I'm talking, thinking about meetings. I'm thinking, and so I have to kind of, have some action going on. So many of us have burned out because our goal has been orthodoxy and not Jesus. I think about the, quickly, this, this debate about worship and, and, and what should be in worship and what shouldn't be in worship. And remember, orthodoxy in doctrine, the point is to hear from Jesus, not to be impressed with ourselves and our, thoroughness. But finally here, in keeping with Jesus, with the seven stars in the right hand and his walking among the seven lampstands, the church in Ephesus is not only being reminded that he is the point of the message, the point of the method, but he is the point behind their mission. Now, we kind of get this illustration. The lampstands and their stars, their illumination, They they represent the giving of truth, of bearing the message and methods of God in a dark world, and, and that in that function, they, the church, and its people, are carrying the mission of Jesus, of which Jesus should be the point. That mission is Jesus' mission in his love for sinners. That, the point of the mission is that God loves sinners. Now, I'm going to just give you some background. The church of Ephesus was regarded as... Probably the first Gentile slash Jewish church. It was a place where people who were separated from God, because the Gentiles, you know, they didn't have the Scripture, and some of them had just come out of idolatry, so they didn't know how to act like church people. Okay? Then you had the Jews on the other side, and they came around and they thought they were special because they had the heritage. Some of them went to Hebrew school, they memorized Scripture, they could say it in Hebrew and Aramaic and all kind of stuff. And the message from Jesus to them was that you're all sinners. The ones who worshiped the idols yesterday and the one who has the law over here. Because if you don't have Jesus, if, if Jesus didn't draw you in, I don't care how deep your heritage is, and I don't keep, I don't care how bad you've been, if Jesus is not the point, you are sinners. And so this was the message that pulled Gentile and Jew together, that they both needed Jesus, that they couldn't rely on anything. They could produce of themselves. They were called sinners to God because of Jesus. God's love for sinners. They knew God's love for those who hated him. God's love for those who were alienated from him. They knew this stuff. That God has loved the unlovable. That God has loved those who couldn't return the favor. This is what captured them. This is what brought them to be the church of Ephesus. That God and Jesus loved you. A wretch, a sinner, an ignorant even of his commands and laws, devoid of knowing what you should. He's loved you. In Jesus, and that, and it was there as well as any true believer's first love, the gospel, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The Ephesian church had forgotten that their faith was, it wasn't a city, it wasn't a law, it wasn't a philosophy that had to be defended or an item to be sold, but a relationship. It was a living and loving and life transforming relationship that should be shared with others, that they would burn or, or still burn and shine with the fire and fuel and brilliance of that first kiss by God that made them his forever. The problem apparently was that they no longer witnessed to that fact. They burned within for orthodoxy, but the fire outside was dull. That's what is meant here by you've you you you've you, repent in verse five. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Witness to my love to this world. You know, one thing I realized about churches. Gosh, I don't know if I'm going to say this. Um, Sometimes I, I don't I don't like sometimes I don't like churches. Um, I'm a pastor. I don't like churches um, because it just seems like people are on fire for the Lord, but they're only in fire on the inside. and They're burning each other up. You know, they're just trying to go through and say who's wrong and who's right. And, and there's this Fire like the Ephesian church is for this fire to make sure everybody inside is pure and right and doing it their way. And yet there's little fire on the outside. See, I think Christianity in many ways can be like an oven of spiritual contemplation. But the Christianity of the Bible, the first flame is like a campfire. I mean, it's like a barbecue when you fall in love with Jesus. It's a wildfire. It is untamed, not the dog or rude, proper orthodoxy in practice, but the wild flame is that smell and lights and sounds of a barbecue that draw others to the fire. And when that first love goes out or down, all of a sudden people have to clean up and dress up and, and be made right to come inside to get what we have. We don't grill or cook anymore like we did when we first loved Jesus and knew he first loved us. But equally important is the mission that sinners would know his love is also that God's people would know his love. Look with me again at verse 5 here. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstands from its place but you have this in your favor you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans which I also hate he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to him who overcomes I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God Jesus this call to repent here is not simply a get right or else what is he saying, He's saying come back to me Be assured by me. He's saying come to the one who can love you real good. It's it's turn around to the voice that affectionately called you in the first place. To hear the gospel as a believer. To look away from your own deeds and practices and perfections. And look and see your own need for the cross. It's look and see your need for Jesus. Look and see your need for the forgiveness of sins. For the righteousness has escaped you and your ability to hear and respond to the gospel will confirm that you are mine. Jesus saying, Do you see me? Do you hear me? Do you long for my love? Do you want to be known and touched for real? Do you hear the gospel, God's love for sinners and His people? For it is calling you to relief. It's calling you home, calling you to the point, calling you to Jesus. Jesus' mission is to bring hearts that started well and have strayed or burned out or been deceived. Jesus' mission then, as it is now, is to his people, is to mend hearts that have been broken and going after other lovers. Jesus' mission is to his people, calling the runaway back to the tree of life. Calling the runaway back to the warmth and comfort of home. Calling those whose freedom has been lost and trying to be right and perfect and perform and you've thought to yourself, what's the point of this Christianity? And Jesus' message is the gospel. God loves sinners. He calls out to his people and he draws them back with the same grace that he drew him in to be their children. He's calling by the gospel to his people and those who would be his people with the giddy love of the Father. You know, that kind, of kind of childlike fan, you know, when, you, when a child has a fan, when they first meet their sports hero, of the simplicity and wonder of being in a real relationship with God. Jesus is like, here I am in the middle of this whole thing that the point of this thing is that you would be touched by me and know me and experience my love. I am. Um, Harrison has a good way of manipulating me. It, I think it's become manipulation. You know how things that start off pure become manipulation? Um, and he has this thing where he's like, Daddy, I just want you. Daddy, can you hold me? I love you, Daddy. I just want you. And I'm just like, okay, whatever you want. You want the toys, no problem, you know? And and I think about that. I'm thinking, okay, he's just trying to manipulate me to get what he wants. But then I think there's that first, I mean, at this point in his life, the manipulation is like 40%. And I really believe 60% is, Daddy, I just want you. I just want you to hold me. I just want to be with you like I'm coming from work. Daddy, he comes in, Daddy, I want you. He, sometimes he even throws down the toys and says, Daddy, I want you. Can you just pick me up? And Kelly, baby, just pick him up. And I just pick him up, and that's all he wants. You know, I think about as he, as he, Kelly, The other day we were in the mall, and Kelly was like, look at Harrison. He looks like a little boy now. He was sitting there reading the book. He doesn't read for real. He was looking at the book. Um, he was sitting there reading the book and Keller was like, look at him. Isn't he growing up? Imagine him being 12. Imagine him being a teenager in high school. And as I thought about that, I was like, kind of hurt me because I thought, all right, innocence is going to be lost. But more than anything, I don't care if he's three or thirty-three. Nothing more I want than for him to know that first love of daddy. I just want you. I just want you to hold me. And and God looks at his people, especially in this book in Ephesus, and he looks at Him and he says, this is my message to you and this is the message you give others. I want them to know I just want you. I just want to be with you. I died on the cross so that you could be with me. And beyond that, I died on the cross so that you can look in the hardness of your heart and no matter how far you've gotten away, or how distant or how orthodox or how unorthodox you are, you can look at the Father and say, Daddy, because of Jesus, I just want you I just want you to love me with your grace. I just want to hear your message of compassion for me in the gospel. He says, don't forsake your first love because it is yours by Jesus Christ. The point of this whole thing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask that you would restore in us the real love and fire of our relationship with you in Jesus. Help our hearts not to forget the point, which is Christ. Lord, I pray for believers who've become agnostic. Jesus is there, He's, but he isn't loving and he isn't real, and it's hard to love him. I pray that you would shower us with your grace and call our hearts to want you, Jesus, above all things, that it would drive our faith, drive our orthodoxy, drive our practice, drive our lives. Your love for us as seen in the Gospels. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.